Hey gang, welcome to episode 55 of the No Persinium podcast, your guide to immersive entertainment, brought to you by our friends at Drafty. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. This week, a very special episode, and by special I mean we're messing with the format a bit, uh, all about the return of the speakeasy in San Francisco. But first, a word from our sponsor. Once again, we are very happy that our friends at Drafty have uh, come on board to sponsor yet another month of the newsletter and podcast. Thank you very much for that, Lucas. What is Drafty? Well, Drafty is a computer-aided design app built from the ground up for the unique needs of theatrical designers, assistants, and technicians by an actual theatrical designer. Lighting, sound, and projection design are all supported at prices that strike fear into the hearts of the big CAD programs. Find out if Drafty can help you work your mojo at drafty-app.com. That's what Drafty is, and they help us make the show. All right, uh, let's do some news and notes, because um, I, I got to talk a lot this episode uh, in a strange way. So uh, let's do this. Hey, New York City, uh, we're, we're, we're getting on the game side of things here in New York. Uh, as pointed out in the latest issue of the newsletter, Ghostbusters The Void is opening up at Madame Tussauds. Uh, I mispronounced that, but whatever. Uh, in New York City, that's the Wax Museum. And The Void is this uh, cutting-edge virtual reality, uh, fully immersive environment thing like they're, they're going to put you in a harness that gives you force feedback you're going to get to walk around and touch things while you've got the vr gear on and you're going to be using some tools that make you feel like you're a ghostbuster why because there's a movie coming out and this is promotion for the movie it also costs um above and beyond the normal madame trussaud's ticket so all in all uh, it's going to cost 50 bucks to go uh so not cheap but it is from all I hear, the cutting edge. I'm incredibly jealous that I don't get to check this out. Zay will be checking it out, I think, and hopefully he'll tell me how it is. Also, in New York, uh, we've got an experience called Escape the House, which is in the latest write-up. And in the New York Times this week, uh, Paradiso Escape uh, is got written up. Uh, it's one of the people behind the Walking Dead experience is doing a piece in New York City uh, that is of their own design. So really, there's there's a whole there's there's a whole spooktacular escape room VR game thing going on in New York. Is spooky season the new immersive? I don't know. Uh, let's not phrase it that way. Hey, Los Angeles, I'm looking at you, kid, from from inside Los Angeles. So that's odd. How can I look at and at the same time? Well, because I can look at what it went in the newsletter this week. History Lit is opening up this weekend. Uh, that's Unbound Productions. Uh, sister show to Wicked Lit. This time they've got three short stories, including pieces from uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe and L. Frank Baum. Um, L. Frank Baum, of course, who wrote Wizard of Oz. Short stories adapted into uh, processional, immersive, theatrical pieces. And uh, they're doing it at the Pasadena Museum of History, which has a carousel exhibit right now. So that's, I mean, come on. That sounds pretty interesting. Uh, I'm going to be checking it out. I might be hobbling a little bit because I broke my toe today, which is awesome. Uh, so if you see me, uh, I'll be the person bringing up the rear. Uh, but that's going to start this weekend and we'll carry on all through the month. Uh, right 
after this weekend, uh, uh, just a two-night stand at a place called Grandpa Johnson's, which is a cocktail bar, there's a piece that uh, some CalArts folks are doing called Grandpa Johnson is Dead. Uh, we've got folks from PlayArts Collaborative, uh, Scott, who's one of the actors who was in uh, in Erotica last year. Uh, he's part of it. Uh, Jennifer Zhang, who is one of the creator, is the creator of Oblivious, which was just at the fringe. She's in it. So we've got some interesting talent. And it's free, you know, it's like the price of a, a drink because you're going to be in the bar. And and the way it's described, just check out the newsletter. The way it's described is kind of interesting. Something about a menu, kind of like choose what you want. I, I was told it was going to extend over time. Uh, so like for a few hours, you're just going to run and loop things and you get to pick. Sounds like a fun experiment and uh, it costs nothing. So check that out. Monday and Tuesday of this coming week, uh, that would be... Uh, 11th and 12th, if memory is serving me and the calendar is serving me. Uh, hey, but the big thing we're, we're looking forward to this month is Johnny the Shell, which is the second part of the Johnny cycle from the Speakeasy Society. Now, don't get confused because we're talking about a show called The Speakeasy, but that's from Boxcar Theater up in San Francisco. That's what the show's about today. Today, uh, well, right now what I'm talking about is the Speakeasy Society, and they're doing the second part of their adaptation of uh, Dalton Trumbo's uh, Johnny Get Your Gun. We're going to have them on the show next week, which means it goes the Speakeasy SF and then the Speakeasy Society. So that's going to be confusing the listings, but I'll, I'll, I'll make sure it's very visible uh, and I'm confusing myself. Uh, but hey, um, rough month. I mean, rough month for everybody, but like seriously. Uh, all right, so don't don't worry about that. The point is, if you're in Los Angeles, go see Johnny the Shell. The Speakeasy Society never disappoints. End of story. All right, now let's talk about this episode. We're doing things a little differently. Albert went and checked out the new space for the return of the Speakeasy. Now the Speakeasy. Is kind of a, I almost want to say it's an urban legend in San Francisco. Uh, it's almost got that status. The show opened up in 2014 and had a nice run before they lost the lease on the space. And for the past uh, year and a half, two years almost, they've been pooling resources, working on developing uh, a brand new space, and they've done a serious build out. This has been a major investment, and indeed, investment's one of the themes. So Albert went and checked out the space, and he spoke with both uh, Nick Olivero uh, and with David Gluck. Nick is the artistic director of Boxcar Theater. They're the people behind the speakeasy. And David Gluck is the producer and general manager of Boxcar. Um, and Albert and Nick walked around the space, so we're going to get a little walking tour action. And then he sat down with David for a while and talked about some of the new things. Um, I'm pulling excerpts from the, that tape that we did, and I will kind of guide us in between. Uh, and then, in another break with tradition, I spoke using the magic of the internet with both Nick and David about um, the crowd investing situation. So what they've done is they've put the show up on a site called WeFunder, and they are able to solicit not not crowdfunding, but crowd investment from folks 
which is a, an entirely new thing that's happened thanks to Title III of the Jobs Act and, and all this other stuff. So we get into that. We talk about the business. And we also talk a little bit, uh, you know, David talks about that. And then Nick and I talk about sort of uh, the extension of the show and sort of like the vision for for this thing as something that gets to keep on growing as time goes on. Because they've got plans and the plans are interesting there are 35 actors in this thing all right 35 actors that's a lot there's a lot of stuff in here they've made a lot of plans it feels uniquely san franciscan in terms of its scale its scope and what's going on and i for one am really looking forward to visiting the show when it opens up uh previews start in august and then the show itself i think is opening in october proper um, you'll hear that in in the piece. Now, what you're about to hear was recorded live in the space where the speakeasy was being built out while it was being built out. So you're going to hear some construction noises and they're walking around. So this this first bit of tape is very non-traditional for us. Uh, it's uh, it's live on the scene. It's a walking tour. Uh, they start off in the main casino space and sort of move around from there. It's not the full tour that Nick gave Albert, but it is part of it and has some of the richest details in, in the time they spent together. And I think you're going to enjoy this. But you might want to watch out when we start the tape because um, it's it gets a little loud. Just a warning for you there. This is uh, our casino. Yeah, it's a big it's a big space. Are you gonna keep the whole thing for the casino? This is the whole thing's the casino. Yeah. We have two two craps tables, two blackjack tables, and yeah. one very large roulette table. Yeah. With a lot of space in the middle. So we've written a lot more scenes for the casino mm -hmm. uh, to happen in. Um, as well as of course the gambling. Yeah. That is always happening. Yep. Uh, this is the bookcase. Yep. So let's go here. We've basically just taken everything we did before and mm -hmm. just made it better. We have the little stage that's up here. Yeah. The painting doors over there. Yeah. This is the entrance of the clock shop. So you don't have the uh, the double decker um, uh, audience seating area that you. Well, did we're before. not there yeah. yet. Are you? We haven't made it. Ah, okay. Yet. Yeah. Not in the bar. Uh, this is the bar, right? This right. is the bar. Yeah. Uh, bar number one. Bar, yes. one bar yeah. two bars. Yeah. Vertical. Any verticals have to hit. We can do screws behind those. Right, except those, no. Sounds office is a new, uh, more developed space. Mm -hmm. With a window uh, that we can look through it here? Yeah, it won't be a window. It's, uh, we haven't designed it yet, but uh, the idea is that there'll be um, peepholes that you could look mm -hmm. through, and then the like, candlestick telephone receivers that you can listen to. Uh, yeah. And there'll be a knob in which you can, uh, Kevin, who uh, says he needs to talk to me, is going to come up with the system in which, uh, just talking about you, oh, okay. that you turn the knob and you could either listen to the room or you could listen, uh, turn the knob and listen to the telephone. And so Sal's making uh, phone calls throughout the night mm -hmm. and there's, it's, there's a direct line where yeah. an actor's on the other line. Yeah. And so you can actually listen in on the telephone conversation. So it's a different, it's the same concept as the dressing room, but there's some variety to how you observe. Uh -huh. um, this is the observation room. This won't be here when he steps down, but um, we have the two-way mirror here, and we have the dressing room on the other side. Yeah. So we've this was such a popular area in the first show that we yeah. wanted to provide give enough room for people to yeah yeah. So we could probably get you know maybe 30, 30 people in here. Mm -hmm. 
Are you putting in new uh, new <coughs> columns here? Is this like no, no, uh, this is all that's this original. Is all, yeah, if okay. I had my way, I wouldn't have columns. Yeah, place. yeah, I think so. It looked like <laughs> a, like the cardboard tubing for it. Yeah, yeah, but you've done all the uh, ceilings already. Ceilings like. have gone for the most part. Um, yeah, we're we're just about to close out on the uh, warm shell, and then we'll come into our scenic stuff, put in the carpet, put in the hardwood. Mm -hmm. So when do you expect to um, to have this completed? And like, uh, we'll we start rehearsals on yeah. Sunday, and we this Sunday these on August twelfth. Yeah. Yeah. So this is our cabaret. So. We have the mezzanine yeah. there, we've got seating down here, we'll have seats all the way around the mez, plus uh, uh, booths around the back wall. There's a beautiful, here. yeah, beautiful so, like arena. Like, yeah, 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 the circular, I'm really excited about the design of it. It's got this kind of, I don't know, Grecian amphitheater sort of feeling towards yeah. it. Huh? Sure. I don't know, I'm <laughs> making things up to sound more important. Uh, but the, yeah, the stage will be here. It's not a super deep stage, but it's enough. It's bigger than our last one, which is great. The band mm -hmm. is over here in this corner. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a nice baby grand piano. Is that in the center, or uh, what is uh... uh No, no, no. This is seating in the center. Oh, here. seating in the center. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this this is nowhere near being done, but, uh, <laughs> but it'll look great when it is. Yeah. So you're gonna. I guess you haven't done the ceilings in here, and after you get all that done, the, then you'll. The ceilings are done. We just haven't installed. We have. We need to paint it, and then right. we need to install the lighting. Uh -huh. uh, and the speakers are okay. already in. So, so no tin, uh, no tin ceiling. No tin ceiling in here. No, no, no. no. Mm -hmm. We don't want people to look up at the ceiling. Right, here, right. Because you'll look up and see lights. Mm -hmm. uh, and is that more seating area up? Yeah, uh, we have the mezzanine the up yeah. there as well, and then uh, in that behind that door is the uh, uh -huh. dressing room. Space and you got that spiral there. staircase right over there There's too. There's a spiral staircase that goes in. Nick, can you figure out what this yeah, this is seating. There's going to be tables back here. And then, uh, for the most part, we'll do extra seats for Act 1. And then when people can move around, we'll take the seats away. And then it'll just kind of be a little bit more open. What's your uh, capacity going to be? 250 okay. is, is the goal, mm -hmm. which is about twice as many as the first ship. Yeah. This is our second bar. We call this, I officially call it the Chill Bar. We'll come up with a better name for the show. Yeah. But we have a lot of. Uh, you know, I call them the husbands and the boyfriends mm -hmm. who don't necessarily want to go see theater, but they're brought <laughs> there by their, by their yeah. lady friends. And they like the gambling part, but then they would get annoyed whenever we would perform. And you would do the, uh, you do performances inside the, uh, the bar and they, they weren't into that? Well, they weren't into the performances in yeah. the casino when they're trying right. to gamble. Right. And so I wanted to do more performances in the casino and activate it even more. Mm -hmm. So the solution was to create a second room for them. So mm -hmm. if they just want to gamble and not have to uh -huh. engage in the show, they could come to the chill bar. There's a bar uh -huh. here, there's going to be a blackjack table, a craps table, there's a piano so we can play music, mm -hmm. and there's no content. Mm -hmm. So this is a kind of like a little oasis, a relief from the show yeah. without having to leave the world. Was that a was that a big uh, uh, piece of feedback that you got from the uh, from the first no run? No feedback, just okay. me watching. Just noticing. Uh -huh. yeah. I mean, this is... I mean, I think like most things that uh, I've created in this is that people don't know what they want until mm -hmm. someone gives it to them, mm -hmm. right? I always say that I didn't know that I wanted an iPhone. Yeah. Someone made an iPhone and I went, yeah, I know, this is exactly what I want. So no one told me that there needed to be a chill bar. Mm -hmm. and now, I don't think it occurred to anybody that it should be there. But uh, I could see the way people were using it and... Uh, I could see, I could tell that there were a few people every night who would 
rather gamble than watch the show that I work so hard on. <laughs> They'd rather pretend gamble. But they bought a ticket. They could do whatever they Someone want. Someone bought a ticket. Yeah, you pay a hundred bucks, you do whatever the hell you want to do. If you just want to sit and drink all night, that's totally fine by me. But you'll so, make it easier for them to just part, sit and drink. Just gonna, I'll make it easier for yeah. you. I'll build a room for you. Mm-hmm. You know, there the whole point of the show is that people, you know, the whole theme of the show is is do what you want to do in life and be yeah. happy. Why would I create that and then tell people what to do? Mm-hmm. So I'd rather create opportunities for them to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. All right, now now we're gonna flash over to when Albert sat down with David Gluck, who is the producer of the show, uh, to talk about about like the way the bar setup is and some some of the other features that are going in. So this is this is from a sit down that they had on the same day. So something I'm really interested in actually is like in an immersive immersive performance like this, where basically everything starts before you get in. Right. Um, and you know and the you audience come into the action in medias race. Right. And the yeah. audience really has no idea like what is where and navigating the space like yeah. you know even though it's pretty straightforward like when you look at it from the plans like when everything's full I mean the point is to make it something that people get lost in. Yeah, so exactly. how are you um, planning to create or uh, teach the audience that that's a place that that they can get away and that's a place that they can kind of like hang out. Um, yeah, you know that's an interesting question. I think one of the one of my favorite things about the show and the space in particular is that kind of labyrinthine quality mm-hmm. and the idea that there is always something new to discover yeah. around the next corner. And in that way, it just kind of becomes this fantasy land where you don't mm-hmm. know what to expect yeah. or what might happen at any moment. You don't know if all of a sudden there might be a new room. I mean, one of the things that we are working hard to create for this show um, is this idea of rooms that can actually change. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we want to be able to have a little bar pop up in a corner out of nowhere, yeah. you know, and then all of a sudden there's this one guy selling some sort of strange tiki drink, and it only exists for like 20 minutes of the show. Mm-hmm. And if you happen upon it, great. And if you don't, you missed it, but you probably found something else. Yeah. You know, so I think the idea is that. Uh, no matter what you do or where you go, you can't see or experience everything. Yeah. So the only way to get it all is one, come multiple times, mm-hmm. and to decompress with your friends after the experience yeah. and figure out what you want to try and see yeah. next time you come. And it sounds like even if you do get like get all the stories, it's going to be an ever-evolving kind of thing, so you're going to mm-hmm. have more to explore each time. Absolutely. Are you going to, uh, I mean... I guess this might be counter to it, and I'm just curious, do you have any kind of, like, what, what is your wayfinding through the space? Um, are, is there going to be, like, a signage to, like, get people to, like, certain places, like, get people out? Or how, do you gui- how are you guiding people when they need to be yeah, guided? Yeah, you know, I think uh, the way that people are going to move about the space, just like the way that we do everything else, is really going to come down to um, that personal touch. Mm-hmm. So we have... Um, a couple of you know door guys who are kind of concierges, mm-hmm. one for the in the bar area and one in the cabaret space, um, who are also characters in the show. Um, but then we also have um, we also have you know the producers who are on site. Um, certainly through um, all of our initial performances, will be yeah. there. Um, our service manager who will be on site for every show, as well as our cocktail waitresses, our bartenders all of whom a part of their job is to really guide the audience and help to steer them into these you know, unknown quadrants uh-huh. and experiences. 
So, um, what are you most excited about in the new space? What am I most excited? I mean, there's so much. There's yeah. so much new stuff, it sounds like. Um, you know, that's a really hard question. I mean, I think sure. one of the things that's really great for me is seeing all of the little tricks and gimmicks that we had in the first show, mm -hmm. getting to bring those back um, and kind of, and, and then getting to add on to that. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the great things about this space that we didn't have available to us in the first show is we got to design the space from the ground up. Right. You know, we had this beautiful large shell that we were able to completely open up to the bare walls. We had some constraints. You know, we couldn't dig down into the concrete. Um, but we were able to take all the design concepts that we have from the first show, our new ideas, and play with putting the rooms and configuring things in different ways so that um, the experience could be more vast and, you know, confusing and also um, enlightening. So did you work with a lot of architects to, like, make that happen? We did. We yeah. did. We worked with a lot of architects and uh, <laughs> Google SketchUp. <laughs> yeah. It was a, a long process. You know, we worked with um, the architects Long Wogan, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Wong Logan, excuse me, over in uh, Berkeley mm -hmm. on the initial design phase. Yeah. And they designed... Um, the Berkeley Rep Rota yeah. Theater, as well as Freight and Salvage. My uh, my friend, uh, actually, my, my my former roommate used to uh, used to work for them. Oh, great! Yeah, he was uh, he was like an architect in training, uh, yeah. working working with them. So. Oh, that's great! Yeah, <laughs> so we, we worked with them over the period of probably four six months. No way! Yeah, on uh, the initial design phase when we were figuring out how to lay out the space and if we could actually make all of our crazy ideas fit into this wonderful basement space. Mm -hmm. Was there uh, was there a lot that you had to like leave out then? Um, or we, like, can you tell me something that you like really wish that you could have fit into the space that didn't? Yeah, you know, we have a lot of ideas for secret passageways. Uh -huh. You know, like if you can imagine the movie Clue mm -hmm. uh, and the way that they just move about that space in all these unexpected ways, we really would love to be able to do that in this space. Mm -hmm. um, but it turns out you can't build a public venue with hallways that are only 16 inches wide. Yeah. There's a, a, some regulations. You, you can't that. even you can't even create it even if it's like uh, not accessible or uh, it's uh, it's just one of those one of those things yeah. that um, a certain number of uh, particular doors that might look like a painting mm -hmm. you can get away with mm -hmm. uh, but yeah those narrow hallways uh, something we we kind of dreamed about but just in the end weren't weren't in the cards for us. Yeah. Are those just like really strange, specific building codes? Like you can only have so many picture frame <laughs> doors or something. Uh, yeah, I don't know if they had our show in mind when they designed yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of the code. Totally. I mean, I'm sure it, uh, it really confused them as you were trying to yeah. ask for permission to do a lot of this stuff. All right. Thanks again to Albert for doing all that. Now we're going to go over and this is an interview that I conducted with David and with Nick. Uh, where we started off focusing on the crowdfunding side of things, uh, crowd investing side of things, and sort of how that all came together. Because this is something that, this is something that I wanted to talk about. One out of my general interest in crowdfunding, it's it's one of the things that I obsess over, but also because there's there's something to this idea of non-traditional entertainment experiences being funded in non-traditional ways and crowdfunding in the donation form is one of those ways but crowd investing 
is a brand new form of in this realm, uh, but it's it's pretty fairly technical. So this one's this one's um, a, a little bit more heady than usual, but it's definitely one to think about. You guys are doing something interesting in that you the the Title Three of the Jobs Act has activated, which has allowed crowdfunding to become crowd investing, and you've put the show up on a crowd investing site. So I wonder if you guys could break that down for the audience as to like, you know, what that means and why you went that route. You know, the timing of it was actually really great because we, from the, from the very beginning of the relaunch, when we realized the amount of capital that this project was going to take, we realized also that, um, we were going to have to access a lot of our supporters in order to, um, to uh, pull in that amount of money. And, you know, the first time we did the show, we had over 8,300 people uh, come and see it. And then all through 2015, we were doing our teaser events, our Club 1923 events, um, and more than 3,000 people attended those. Um, and so this group of people was already sort of interested and passionate. These were our fans. There were members of the previous cast and creative team that wanted to become investors as well. Um, and so we, we realized that there was a, a large base for a crowdfunding effort. Uh, well, when we started the the fundraising process, which was May 1st of last year of 2015, uh, this sort of Title III crowdfunding wasn't available. And so we first rolled out a private placement. And the, the problem with private placements are that they are limited in, in many ways. First of all, they can only, only support few or no uh, non-accredited investors. So essentially, they're geared for wealthy individuals. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the people who wanted in on this project did not meet the accred- accreditation standards. So that was one problem. The other problem is that there's there's a prohibition on general solicitation. And uh, so we're, we were not allowed to even uh, talk about the offering to anyone who we didn't already know. These sorts of private placements are really geared best for friends and family. Um, so we, we launched our Series A in this way, and we did friends and family fundraising, um, and we expanded our circle through friends of friends and friends of family members, and we actually managed to raise just about a million dollars from the, the Series A private placement. Wow. Um, and just out of, out of curiosity, when you did the last show, what was what kind of capital were you walking into in the first iteration? Well, everything has gotten much, much bigger. The first show, the initial budget was $250,000, and our goal was to raise $200,000 through a private placement. Um, we did not raise all that money. We actually only raised $60,000 through the private placement, and we bootstrapped the show into existence anyway, through cash management and special fundraising events and just sheer determination, really. Um, but we had 15 investors in that first show, and most of those investors became investors in the second show as well. In the first show, a unit was $4,000, uh, and in the second show, a unit is $30,000, a Series A unit, and many of the investors who did one unit in the first show did one unit in the second show. And that was kind of surprising, enormously gratifying to see that vote of confidence yeah. uh, in, the, in the project. Um, that was the Series A. So th- this this time around, as I said, we were, uh, I guess, uh, t- to put it in context, 
we our goal our our total fundraising goal this time is one and a half million. So before it was two hundred thousand, now it's one and a half million, and we were able to raise just about a million through the private placement, the Series A, and we were trying to figure out how to access this much bigger pool of people who were likely investors. There's something called um, Regulation A uh, that came online last year through the SEC that is sort of a crowdfunding thing or allows you to get around the general solicitation ban, allows you to reach some investors with lower accreditation thresholds. And we were trying to shoehorn our way into that, but it wasn't really a good fit. Um, And then... Uh, we met the guys from WeFunder. It's kind of one of those serendipitous moments. It's a startup that specializes in crowdfunding uh, investments, and it's located here in San Francisco. And the co-founders had been to the first show. One of the guys is a haunted house fanatic, and that's oh, nice. his way into immersive theater. And yeah. the, his co-founder knows that he has that passion, so he bought him tickets to the first show for his birthday. So they came and saw it together. They'd been to our Club 1923 events. And then just about five or six weeks ago, they were at our club um, with their whole company. They were doing a team building event there. And so they brought the whole company there to share this really special thing. And he heard that we were still looking for money. One of these guys, Mike Norman is one of the co-founders. And Mike came up to me and said, how much money are you, you trying to raise? I said, well, we still need to raise six or $700,000. And he said, have you heard about Regulation CF? We can help you with that. And so very quickly, we vetted the concept, we vetted the company, and we pulled the trigger on it. That was, that was at the very beginning of May. The regulation took effect on May 16th, and we wanted to be in that initial batch of uh, companies, one of the first companies to go live on the very first day of this new investing mechanism. And so in two weeks, we rushed this into existence. And in fact, that's what happened. We were the first, um, we were the first theater project to use uh, Regulation CF when we went live on May 16th. And what's, what's interesting to me about about going this route is as as the Jobs Act moved along and as as this, this movement towards crowd investing happened, I, I watched a lot of people in the cinema world uh, get very excited about it. And it would it was always sort of amusing to me when an individual filmmaker was like, "I'm going to get people to invest in my film," and I would just kind of roll my eyes and say, "Like you're you're slightly insane because m- movies don't make mon- their money back almost." Ever. So putting it out there is kind of weird. I then saw some people put slates of films together and say, all right, we're going to go the crowdfunding route for like these six, seven, ten pictures, which starts to make more sense because you're ameliorating risk because, hey, maybe this will be a hit and maybe that one will suck, but it doesn't matter. It balances out. But in in the immersive theater world, the, the trend almost like everyone who's on the producing side sees is sort of doing what they do at the McKittrick, which is you're going to have a physical plant and the physical plant has all these different revenue streams coming in on it. And that means that there's a way to get the the money back out of the beast. And it's not just, we're going to throw a potlatch here. So uh, it, it makes so much sense that these things would go together, like a little bit like peanut butter and chocolate. I really agree with what you're, with what you're saying. You know, a lot of the a lot of the startups have no real revenue or certainly no profitability, um, and 
you know, investors are taking a flyer. They're going to kiss their money goodbye for five years or ten years, and then hope f that uh, there'll be some big IPO or an acquisition or a liquidation event, and they'll make ten times their money. Or maybe they're going to invest in ten companies and hope that one hits it out of the ballpark. We're a completely different type of company. We're going to be profitable from the moment we open. Um, that's the way the thing is designed. The ticket sales are such, and the the uh, the costs are such that we should be profitable uh, from the from the very beginning. Yeah. And so and you guys, you guys are like blowing through the previews already. Like I've noticed. Yeah, we did a hundred thousand in ticket sales the first week that uh, that tickets became available. So well, I that, guess that means that the the long the long uh, sleeping period did not hurt the enthusiasm for the show at all. You know, we've we've worked really hard to keep everybody percolating. Like I said, we do these Club yeah. 1923 events, and we've just really tried to keep in touch with our audience and continue to keep people excited and and waiting. So. Um, it, it paid off when we finally put tickets on sale, uh, June 13th, there was a flood of interest. Now mm -hmm. it's another thing to sustain that interest, right? We have our early adopters, um, at, who had all this pent up demand. Um, and so now we've got to continue to reach the next tier of people and, and keep ticket sales going until the show actually opens. Once the show opens, we hope that word of mouth and media coverage Will also, you know, help build awareness and drive sales. Yeah, kick in. I mean, we don't have. I, I often refer to all this stuff in in gaming terms, and with you know, Sleep No More being a triple A experience, and then some of the other things being you know, indies. We don't have a triple A on the West Coast. Like the closest I think we have right now before you guys open is that uh, Seattle Immersive has a permanent space up in Seattle where they do their work, but they're a theater company cycling shows in um, that they're that they're building up and taking down. This is, is different, but Nick, uh, I wanna ask you about this. I know you talked a little bit with Albert in this and some of the tape I have, uh, but I think I wanted to get it in this form. Uh, you're looking at, there's some work farther down the line in terms of iterating on concepts into the show uh, that you're, you're playing with. And I, I wonder if you could sort of talk about the, the idea of sort of building, building for the future when you've got this, what sounds like a really beautiful physical plant that you're working with. Yeah. So um, the, the, I mean, first and foremost with this show, it's, it's scripted. So it's over 1300 pages um, material. Yeah, I say that pretty lightly, but it's actually, uh, I mean, we wrote a novel. Uh, so Ben Fisher and I co-wrote uh, the show. We had a group of, you know, we had developers on it. Our directors worked on it. I put teams together uh, to kind of help flesh out some of the ideas. But it is it is totally scripted. And so, I mean, that itself is is the backbone of the show, that you could follow these characters around, you could follow these stories, and you could watch it. like uh, uh, It's like multiple plays that are happening all at once that you can move in and out of. So uh, that I think is very different than kind of the other immersive shows, at least that I've seen uh, that are out there. I feel like there's a lot, um, a lot of shows a little bit looser or they don't have dialogue. It's dance, stuff like that. So, uh, so there's a lot of work that goes involved in just getting, you know, the, the acting material up to, up to par. And that was a big, uh, that was a big push that I had is that I, I wanted to show that, you know, I, I wanted to be on the same level as any play that you would go see. And I think that is one of the challenges that immersive theater has is that um, it's, they, a lot of immersive shows put a lot of, lot, lot of stock in the experience, uh, 
but not necessarily in, in the content. And so we wanted the content to be very strong. So we, we have the script. But in addition to that, the, there are things that come along with immersive theater that immersive theater can do that other you know, more traditional theater cannot do. And that's really the engagement and the interaction with the audience. And that stuff isn't always scripted because you have an audience member. You can't script what they're going to say. So right. we came up with um, uh, a few different ways to, to do that. I, 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 wanted to, I created this like little department called the Audience Adventure Group. And I got people from, from the show, you know, people who are developing characters and stories and script writers. But then I also got people from the gaming world and people who uh, were maybe used to putting on murder mysteries or, uh, you know, like escape the room type stuff, things that were much more experience level and some of them even game uh, related rather than uh, character and story related. So I, try to, I, I tried to merge these two uh, areas and create uh, engaging interactive material that uh, would also fit in our kind of scripted content world, if that makes sense. So yeah, try to find a way to like create a layer that exists either on top of or underneath the the main world so that if you're if you're just a normal punter you're like oh I'm at the show and you're having a grand old time but if you're on this other track if you're a if you're a diehard fan of the show you have a deeper way of engaging with it probably for you know a little a little kick in price yeah well some of it's a little kick in the price and some of it is just being in the right place at the right time uh in which i imagine people are going to try to break the code and figure out if you're here in this place at this moment you get picked uh and some of this actually i'll change because i don't want people to figure out the uh the system i don't I, i i don't think it's as fun when you know how it works I think the spontaneity is, is a little bit more interesting. So we'll, we'll if, if I find that people start, you know, kind of hacking into our system, I'll change the oh, system. They, they will. Uh, I mean, there's there are blogs, there are Tumblr blogs dedicated to figuring out the one-on-one codes for Sleep No More. And then San Francisco, of course, is legendary for having a few homegrown ARGs that breed very, very active fandoms. So Yeah, well, um, I'm going to make them work for it, and then I'm going to change up. So for instance, one one of these things that we do now is there there's a horse race in the show and uh if you start depending on where you start uh you might have the option to be able to bet on the horse race and so the audience is allowed to bet on it and then a lot of our characters have also have ponies and and uh that they've bet on and uh there are let's see the bar the casino the hallway sal's office and the dressing room so there's five radios uh, throughout the space. The cabaret does not have one. But at 9.02 p.m., the horse race happens. And at 9.02 p.m., in every single room, there's a character or characters who have an invested interest in the outcome of the horse race. So they all listen to it in these different rooms. So it's a it's a unifying uh, moment that happens, uh, and but the reactions are all different in each room. And the audience, some of the audience, will have also bet on the horse race with the casino chips and they'll be able to win or lose based on the outcome. Well, during previews, it'll be fine. During the first few performances, it'll be fine. But eventually, we're going to start having repeats, and they're going to figure out which horse wins. So to circumvent this, I'm going to have like 10 or 15 different horse races, (laughs) and we'll change it on a night-to-night basis. 
And the actors will be told who their horse is and who needs to win and who doesn't need to win. And uh, anyway, so that 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 is one way that we're I'm going to try and stay ahead of ahead of the audience because I think it's more fun that way. I don't yeah. think it's as fun of like I know who's going to win, so I'm going to bet. Although some people might know who's going to win because that might be one of these fun little audience interactive things. You might get a hot tip from somebody, yeah. so that might be a thing that we actually do, and then it's up to that person to keep that information himself for share. But yeah. this audience adventure group, what I wanted to do is I I I. I created a, a task for myself. I wanted, uh, we're going to have about 250 people at the show. I wanted 250 unique experiences, and I wanted everyone to have at least one unique experience. Well, that's very hard to manage. I can't manage that everyone gets a unique experience. Uh, but uh, that was the goal. So I came up with these different areas. There would be the random acts, which is you know these random uh, audience experiences. If you're in the right place at the right time, you get chosen. And uh, we kind of sat around and we talked about all the different fun things that could happen. Uh, you know, what if you get pulled into this thing? Or, or what, if we, what if we need an audience volunteer for this? Or in the cabaret, what if you're the magician's assistant? You know, wh- whatever it may be. It could be in the context of the world or it could be, oh, you're an old friend or whatever. Or we, we cast you some of your, you know, there's one that's really great. It's Willie the Busboy. And I think it's going to be coveted because this thing is insane. And it's like 10 minutes long and you get passed on through like, Eight, eight or nine different characters, and it's going to be incredibly timed out for for this one person. And it has nothing to do with the show. It operates within the context of the show. And so there's about 40 of these random acts. Wow. And then um, uh, I created, I wanted to do a one-on-one experience. So I had a lot of people talking to me in the first show. They said, oh, are there any Easter eggs? And I said, what the hell's an Easter egg? Because uh, I'm not a gamer. I don't know anything about playing video games. I know how to create theater and I know how to create experiences, but I'm not a gamer. And so he said, well, Easter eggs, you know, like in a video game. And I said, I, I'm not following. So I was explaining what an Easter egg was. So, of course, I just started calling all these things Easter eggs. Oh, uh, we need some Easter eggs. And so my, you know, the directors and the writers are, what's an Easter egg? And so we call, now we just call these things Easter eggs and we use the term completely uh, incorrectly <laughs> for what it is. Uh, but uh, we don't care. We're going to, we've, we've, we've hired the term and now we have these Easter eggs that are these uh, one-on-one experiences between an audience member and an actor where they get pulled aside and pulled into a room uh, which you know I think uh, Sleep More has you know maybe I don't know seven or ten of these or 50, I have no idea how many they have I guess I kind of made that up but uh, you know they have a certain number we have about 40 of those I wanted every character to have a one-on-one moment with an audience member uh, that was uh, very intimate and so I, we have 35 characters in the show, and some of them have a couple. And so there's about you know, 35, 40 of these on top of the random acts. And wow. what's really cool about these and what's different about these is these are not performances in which I pull you aside and do a special performance for you. These are truly engaging. They're conversational. Uh, they, it's, they're, they're, they're devised in such a way... Uh, not to talk just too much about the structure and give anything away, but they're bookended with kind of monologues, right? So the audience member has control, or I'm sorry, the, the character has control of the beginning and the end of it to make sure that it, it feels like a complete experience. But the middle is the audience and the audience with the the actor. So that that can rubber band, that can stretch. It can be short, it can be long. It's it's really dependent on on the audience member and how much they're willing to share. Uh, and then once they get done sharing, we, we, we kick into the end. And they are written in such a way 
and we've been working on these, that they're kind of foolproof. I mean, even based on when a question is asked, we've written responses in such a way, or A, B responses. If they say something like this, you say this. If they say something like that, you say that. Uh, but they've been written in such a way where it doesn't really matter what the audience does or say, we get it back on track. Right. So you've given you've given them a good illusion of choice, which yes. is what a gaming experience does, uh, and and indeed what what these sort of experiences sort of have to do when there's when it's not just going to be a, a improvised show. Uh, uh, this is just a segment of of the whole podcast. I know you guys have some stuff you got to run off to go do, but uh, Nick and David, thank you so much. Um, this, I'm I'm looking forward to getting to see the show. I I missed it because I had moved away from the Bay Area. Uh, not too long before you guys started up and heard about it. And by the time I could get back up, it was gone. So I'm very much looking forward to checking out the show in person and hopefully getting a chance to sit down and talk with you guys once we've experienced it and, and, and going in depth at that point. Well, great. We'll do that over whiskey at the bar. That sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always All much right. easier to have these conversations with whiskey in your hand. <laughs> that is that is not untrue all right well guys have have a great evening all right i want to leave you with one more piece of tape we're going to cut back to albert and nick this is just a little taste um albert asked nicks about what some of the plans for the future are in terms of some uh, off-night entertainments that are going to happen because they have this amazing space and they're going to be doing more than just the show straight up in it uh, and that's also, I think, a critical part about how these ventures are are going to exist moving forward, which is that the, the the space is a critical element of the production, but it's also something that, frankly, is a moneymaker on top of everything else. You are going to continue doing like other events in in the in the space and in the, yeah, we'll you know. do we'll do off you know off night programming. We'll do events before. We've talked about doing happy hours and stuff like that with performances. And uh, we have our Neo Vaudeville series that we're going to kick in after the show opens. Mm -hmm. This is like October. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got to get the show going first. But uh, in October, the Neo Vaudeville series will be a late night series that we'll do like Friday, Saturdays, or maybe Sundays. We got to kind of see what what will happen. But mm -hmm. it's more of just the cabaret show. So we might have. Uh, you know, modern stuff too. We might have a stand-up comedian, yeah. and then a, a hip-hop belly dancer, and then maybe a, a band or something. Mm -hmm. But it's not doesn't have to be wedged in that 1923 yeah. period that yeah. we're doing for the show. Uh, and I'm hoping that'll be a really cool event that people will want to come pop in. Mm -hmm. North Beach on a Friday night, we can activate a nightlife crowd, yeah. which is not really a thing that exists in San Francisco. Yeah. This was an episode that was here, that was there, that was everywhere, and now it comes to the outro the familiar part of the show. Uh, I want to start off by thanking our guests. I want to thank Nick and David for letting us, Albert, tour around the space, for meeting up with me uh, during like the NBA finals virtually, when they were talking in the Bay Area and the Warriors were playing. I mean, that was a big deal. Uh, so I want to thank the guys for doing that. Um, if you want to learn more about the show, if you want to get tickets, which I think you probably want to get some tickets you're going to visit the speakeasysf.com and that's where you can sign up for the club 1923 and get on their list and be informed of when tickets are going on sale and all that wonderful stuff if you're interested 
in learning more about the crowd investing side of things, the site is wefunder.com and you go to wefunder.com slash the period speakeasy. That's the direct link to the show's crowdfunding. And as of as I'm recording this right now, uh, they've raised over $200,000 um, on the back of uh, 44 investors. So this is, uh, and they were they were looking, their initial look was, um, you know, they went between 50K and a million. So let's not sneeze at this. Let us not sneeze at this at all. So check out the WeFunder site and see all that. I want to thank, speaking of crowdfunding, speaking of money, I want to thank our Patreon backers. As always, you are the heart and soul of the show. You are the reason why we exist. Thank you so much. I do want to thank our friends at Drafty for coming in and helping to be the sustaining force that keeps us uh, a little ahead of the curve. Remember, the Patreon backers help us stay, exist at all. Drafty's keeping us just, just, a, just ahead of the man. Um, also, uh, how to contact us. Uh, you can contact us at nopersinium.com is where you find links to everything, the newsletter, the medium collection, et cetera, et cetera. On Twitter, we're at nopersinium. We're nopersinium on Facebook. I'm at Noah J. Nelson on Twitter. And and if if you want to contact me on social media, Twitter is the way to go. Um, I'm, I kind of play the private person mode on Facebook. I'm one of those people who's like, Facebook's like my real life and Twitter's my public face. So... Uh, if you, if you reach out to me on Facebook and we haven't met in real life and I don't add you, I'm, it's, it's, well, it is something personal because that's just how I roll. So, but I'm more than willing to talk to you on Twitter because that's how I, I do things. So if you just want to email us, if you just need to, to talk to me, uh, talk to any of us, no underscore proscenium at outlook.com. That is where you want to send us all the show announcements. You want to give us feedback on this show. You want to tell us that we're horrible. Whatever you want to say. You say you're confused. You know, everything and anything, email us. No underscore proscenium at outlook.com. If you love the show, if you want to support us, patreon.com slash no proscenium. If you want to read some of the crazy stuff we write about immersive theater, medium.com slash no dash proscenium. July is a busy month. Uh, we've got one more episode before we take a bye week because I'm going to uh, one of the political conventions for work, uh, and that means I can't produce the show for a week. So we're just going to take a bye week uh, during the first convention, and then we'll come back. We're banking some more material for afterwards. Next week on the show, our friends at the Speakeasy Society and some big announcements because um, if you stick around this far, this is a little preview. Um, I'm helping out with a crowdfunding campaign. The folks at Play Collaborative Arts, uh, we're gonna we're gonna help that DIY performance space go legit. More details on that in the next episode because the campaign should be live by that point. And yeah, that's it. Uh, I'm gonna see some stuff in LA this week, end and week. And if you're out there, uh, be gentle with me because my foot is not feeling great. And we walk around these shows. So um, when I do that, when we run into each other, that means I'll see you at the show.